Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment sits down with Dirk Mitchell of Mitchell Equipment, a single-store Case IH dealer in Atkinson, Nebraska. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. In this episode, Casey and Dirk get the conversation started discussing how they classify used equipment in their inventory. We've got Dirk Mitchell here from uh, Mitchell Equipment up in uh, north central in Nebraska. Is that the best way to describe where you're at, Dirk? That's correct. Right. Town Atkinson. Atkinson, Nebraska. Dirk is a yep. uh, single store uh, case dealer up there. They do they do pretty good business out of there. He's he's got a lot of stuff going. You probably check he can hit uh, hit Dirk up on Twitter. What's your what is your Twitter handle, Dirk? I think it's just uh, I think it's just at Dirk Mitchell. At Dirk Mitchell. So you can always always check that out. Dirk's always got stuff going on up there. If he's doing a demo or a startup or just showing you what he's got in his lot. Good place to go see what's what's happening up there. So I wanted to get Dirk on here because this is something I'm struggling with myself and looking at equipment i know everybody says they're doing this and and then everyone's got it all figured out but i have yet to see really anyone have this kind of method in place i've seen bits and pieces of it but i haven't really ever seen like a full bore kind of approach to it so i'm trying to get one figured out and i figured hey man dirk's the dirk's the man at the plane so i got to get him on here and have him lead me through this this process so today what i wanted to talk about was um kind of the classification of used equipment before you actually even get it to your lot. So kind of like an ABCD or, or one, two, three, or however you want to, however you want to phrase it. But like, you know, A's being a uh, kind of like a certified pre-owned approach to it. And then a, a, a D being something or a C, however far bound you want to go is the, uh, we're not doing anything to this thing when it comes in and we're going to buy it for auction value or less. And that's exactly where it's going to go when we get it. So, Dirk, I just wanted to get get you on here and kind of have you uh, walk me through kind of maybe some of the philosophies you have when it comes to that and maybe some um, approaches you have to your used equipment when you're looking at it at a, at a segment level. So first, I would warn the, warn the readers or listeners that uh, when you said I had a plan, that is... That is 100% incorrect. So, but I will. You and me both, buddy. I will speak for. <laughs> I will speak for what what I think we should be doing because that you know that dynamic has changed so much with the internet. Right. We used to kind of categorize it when it was just everything kind of went back in the local market, and we really did it unknowing. It was just it was just you had them certain customers that traded in. You know, they traded in the cream of the crop and people, people watched for those or asked around when that was happening. And that was kind of the, that was the category before. And somehow we've, I think you've got to get that story back. It's, it's way harder to do on the internet because nobody, you know, right. A guy 200 miles away that is a prime candidate. He doesn't know your, your top three customers and, you know, that doesn't mean anything to him and, and they all, once they got their nice, detailed, cleaned up pictures, they all look the same out there. So we got to take a different approach, I think. And I don't know what that is, but this 
categorizing it, I think, is one of the first steps. And that's something I've been looking at as well. Yeah. What you said there is such a key thing when you talk about your customer. So your local customer base knows that John Smith Farms, when his stuff comes in, it is a been shedded. It always goes back in the shed every night. Um, gets gets run through the winter service program every year, and everything gets fixed. Yeah. The, the the oil is changed fifty hours before it needs to be changed, and, and yeah. there's there's more grease in inside the grease certs than there is in any any grease tube you have in your in your store. Right. That's that kind of stuff. On the flip side of that. You've got the guy that trades the stuff in, and everybody knows that stuff from John Q. Farmer, you know, is is the worst possible thing you could buy, right? Yep. It rode hard, put up wet. He trades on a pretty regular cycle. He knows how much he needs to put into everything to make it work, and he's not really too concerned about it because, hey, you know, in, in the end of the season, I'm trading it, or next year I'm trading it, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to run it as hard as I can, get the most out of it, and he doesn't own a grease gun, Right. You have that customer. Right. So the thing about that is you could have that same customer be the one-year-old, two-year-old trade-in type guy or in, in both spectrums of that. I think when I look at this, where I think people get hung up at is everything that's one-year-old that's got less than 500 hours on it, that's a, that's an A. When, and that's not necessarily true because to your point of the internet, you almost need to have these customers come on and sit down across and, and, and be able to explain that story of what they do to their equipment, when do they do it, how often do they do it, especially the ones that you know are going to be a, a premium machine. Those, those are the, yep. That's going to tell that story. So if you can get that customer to sit down and, and basically answer all the questions that you're going to get from the guy on the internet, when that guy on the internet calls you, man, you're already 80% of that thing being sold. Now you're just kind of talking about, you're just in the haggling part of the, of the conversation. Have you ever thought yeah, about exactly. doing something like that? I have, yeah. Um, the bi- the biggest thing is uh is the time constraint but really we got to get we got to get through that a part of it i think is you know i i think the salesman's got to administer that so we need to do some training on you know what to do and how to do it but i can tell you that if you just had a couple minutes with the guy just an unedited raw version i think it would you know we it's not like we got a video editors hired to Right. Pull this off, you know, it's doing it on your phone. And yeah, it's going to be plumb adequate in my mind. But so to, to date, we have not we have not done any of that. The the only thing we've we've done, which we really haven't got posted out there yet, but tried to we take a bunch of videos of this equipment working, and then you know we don't typically don't know at that time when they're trading. But mm-hmm. if you can somehow get that saved. I think that would be another point. You can have that stuff to be able to throw out there, seeing it actually live and working. That would bode well for a guy as well. So those are... Those are some of the things we'd like to get to. That's a good point. I was talking about that the other day about having that, you know, during here, you know, corn harvest is coming up here and we've got a drone. And if you can have that, that drone fly over a machine and, and, you know, watch it out there just cut didn't have to do anything special just go watch it work in the field and, right. then, and then when your machine comes in you can have 30 or 45 seconds of, of that machine working in the field it kind of does bring some you know lo, you know you always hear that let me see it, what it looks like in its, in its work clothes type of thing and and yep that's a pretty good way to do that and and like you said it's pretty powerful when you can put that out there and you have a 
you know, just a, like you said, a, a minute or two with the customer talking about what he does with his the typical day when he when he has his machine out. And then, you know, like you said, have that machine out there working in the field. So I think that's that's kind of the wave of the future. You know what I mean? Even even our local yep. customers are going to want to see that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I think it I think it works works for everybody. Yeah. So here's kind of what I'm doing. So I'm trying to look at my used equipment and I'm trying to figure out. Now, again, granted, this is going to be a cultural change, right? So we're talking about looking at everything basically through a microscope, and then you're going to classify this stuff when it comes back in, and it's going to be, you know, an A is basically we're not going to do anything to it but check and top off fluids, do any warranty work that needs to be done to it, and any, you know, really doesn't need any anything done to it through the yep. shop, right? So that's going to be a premium machine. And again, you might have two 500-hour combines sitting next to each other or 250-hour combines sitting next to each other, and one is going to need more than the other. So that that A over here, you know, they're exactly the same one's an A and one's a B. You know, you're going to have yeah. to have some kind of like a year and hour range kind of break off and, and do there. So I guess give me your definition of what you think that premium A machine would look like. To me, you can see them. The one way I was trying to look at it was, so I think I think nearly every manufacturer has their certified pre-owned program. Oh yeah, yeah. So so that we try to utilize that as much as we can. I don't know that the customer base really cares about that yet. I, to me, I think you got to get it. You, you got to get it in terms of your inspection process. It, to me, you almost need to categorize them. It may fall under the CPO, but then you've got your own grading system, you know, through the help of knowing your customers and, you know, going through the service mm-hmm. department. Because just like you said, not each CPO combine is going to be the same. We can get them in the program. Right. You know, fluid's good. We fixed them up. But to me, there's still the cream of the crop and maybe the, the second tier. And hopefully... Hopefully we got them priced as such, and I think that that's where that needs to come from. And we were talking about doing our own, you know, kind of branding our own certification, mm-hmm. where we'd either do all the work, or at least, you know, this one, this is exactly, you know, we went through it with a fine tooth comb, and a lot of our, like on our harvest equipment, we do have inspections on all those, and and to be honest, I trying to find the right answer to me you go through that combine with a fine tooth comb and you you got a guy on the phone and you throw it out there on the internet hey this thing you know we went through everything on this and you can spend twenty two thousand on this and it'll be like new right some guys that works great some guys like oh my gosh i need twenty two thousand there's no way right i ain't you know i ain't getting in I ain't getting into that deal. I'm going to go find the salesman that tells me it only needs eight. Right. And yeah. It, all the while, you know, that one might need 25 realistically. So that's, that's a struggle uh, that I've seen and, and capitalizing on that has not, not happened yet. But uh, I think we've got to get to some sort of branding and, and it's going to take a while, I guess, for, for people to get trained, you right. know, start locally and then spread its way out that those machines truly are what they say they are. We'll get back to Casey and Dirk in a moment, but first a quick word 
from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operation, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. If you want to hear more from Casey on the used equipment market, he'll be speaking at the Western Equipment Dealers Association's North American Dealer Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, November 19th through 21st. For more information, visit www.nadealerconference.com. Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Dirk talk about the difference between an A machine and a B or C machine and the reconditioning that goes along with each of those categories of machines. That's my idea of what the A is. The A is that thing that is, the only reason it's not new is because somebody used it last season type of thing. You know what I mean? It's so it's a right. pristine, perfectly maintained piece of equipment that's ready to go to the field. Like you said, I think a lot of guys, well, in my opinion, scare customers off on equipment. Yeah, you know, it's a combine. I, you, you take a brand new combine and spend 15 grand on it if you really wanted to. You know what I mean? Fixing every little solitary thing, you know, just nitpick it to death. But the other side of that is on those machines, those five and six year old machines that where they kind of hit those those critical uh, reconditioning points, you can spend 25 or 30 grand on one of those combines pretty easy. Now, the difference yep. is what people get scared off in that is, yeah, it might be twenty five or 30000 bucks, but it's saying, like, you know, we've got a work order here for thirty grand, but our shop's saying about 10 of that is actually stuff that needs to be done before the next season comes. And then there's another probably yep. 8000 bucks or 9000 bucks of stuff that needs to be done probably at the end of next season. And then the rest of that yep. stuff is just, you know, it's kind of getting there. You might have another season or two, or it might be some cosmetic thing or whatever it is. Yep. And I think a lot of sales staffs are that way with that. Don't break it down like that when they're talking to that customer. You know what I mean? And that's what I think kind of going down the same line of this conversation, you know, that would be a B or a C machine, right? It's one of those machines, right. you know, it's a good solid machine. It's a machine that you want to have back in your AOR or a machine that you want to sell out to someone that's got, that's looking for that three to five year old piece of equipment or that five to seven year old piece of equipment. That's where that stuff's going to fall into there. And and I think, and realistically, that's, those are the used, used equipment that you're going to make, you have the best opportunity to make money on, not only from a, yeah. from a sales department side, but also on your parts and service side, because you get the opportunity to walk through that customer and maybe instead of him walking away going, that thing's a pile of crap, it needs 30 grand. Well, it needs 10, right? So now you have some yeah. negotiation points and kind of doing that. So I guess part of that spectrum is something that you're looking at there. When you're looking at those machines, you're looking at that reconditioning, are you figuring that in like your deal or do you have that kind of a la carte kind of approach of, well, here's what it is the way it sets. And then if you want to spend $10,000 more, we're going to do this and that and the other, I guess, what's your approach to that? I've done it both ways and it's, uh, it's kind of based on the, the premise that we're talking about is it's just not in, in wording anywhere, but right. So you'll, you know, we've right now we got a couple combines that are priced before the repairs, and that's at a price point that generates some calls. And then that's the the second step is a lot of those will ha- will say we've got ten thousand dollars that in our budget the guy can kind of pick whatever he wants, but right. that hasn't been as successful as as I thought it may. Um, a lot of the stuff that we 
late model stuff, the first, second trades that we typically keep in our in our area, we've we've about got you know we've I've kind of got figures that I use for one year old, two year old, and somewhat some hour ranges on harvesting equipment's the big one that we just you know it's almost a guarantee that this is the law of averages if we want this thing fixed back up to our standards right this is what we're going to spend and that's typically how them late model ones are priced is right we use the term field ready almost to a point that it's unprofitable we you know we're spending spending too much on them as they come back in but you know it's just something the guys got to keep tweaking on yep that's why i think like on that a that price that you have out there is, is, you know, it's the field ready through the shop turnkey ready to go type machine. Right. You know, it's, it's a, yep. and, and probably in the, in the biggest sell point in that is too, is it needs to be because you're asking 350,000 bucks, 380,000 exactly. bucks for a combine, you know, I use combine. So someone's going to expect it to be a, a pretty decent yep. machine. I mean, it's going to be the only reason I'm buying this one is because I can't afford the other 120 grand to get the new one. Right. Right. That's that's why they're looking at that one. When I look at the B, to me, that's when I think you can start playing some of those some of those games. Like you know, you have the the twenty five thousand dollar work order, and ten of it needs to be done, and maybe you have it priced at you know fifteen or twenty thousand dollars less than what you see in the normal marketplace. But the idea being that okay, cool. So you want to do this? This is an as is price, the way it sets, and here's you know we got a ten thousand dollar budget, and we can. We can be as creative with that as you want to be, right? We can wrap those costs into your financing or, hell, I can give you a credit that you can come and use whenever you want to, a local guy type of thing, you know. I think it gives you a lot more flexibility during the sales process to to make things happen. Now, that being said, when somebody from wherever, Iowa, calls you and says, hey, I I see your combine, I like that price, Um, I I want to buy that what's been done to it and you say oh well nothing that's just the way it sets and you know here's the work order we have to share that with you and all of a sudden they're turned off thinking that well i still gotta spend another 10 grand to get it going and i mean yes and no i mean the only reason it's quit working is because someone turned the key off right so i'm sure i'm sure it'll still go to the field and and cut some some corn or pick some corn or cut some wheat or whatever it is you're doing and you know that that conversation sometimes helps but I don't know. It's a, it's such a it's such a fine line, and like you said, all the any money that you pour into that reconditioning wise is not necessarily a a, a fact that you're going to get it back, right? So it's it's yep. one of those things where you got to do that. So I guess it's kind of like what you're saying. It's a double edged sword, and you kind of have to figure out what your approach is going to be. But it's also your sales folks have to buy into it as well. So what is your? I guess what do you have some sales guys that think they can't sell anything unless it's just 100 percent reconditioned or do you have some that like to play that well let's let's kind of banter back and forth on, on what we're going to do when it comes to the shop so so culturally where we stand is we typically for everyone to feel good about it leaving you know we we just feel like we have to recondition it to death and and uh that's worked well to a point because that's got us a reputation that when it leaves this guy's not going to have a lot of issues right off the bat or at least in the first year or two, you know? So there's that, that used to work really well until you were relying on internet based sales and sales leads from 
out of the area to get rid of some of this equipment, then that's really when this process has to be that you've got. But basically, we've just got to adapt to the way that people are buying equipment now, which is vastly different from 10 years ago. So there's, I think we've got to pick up the pace a little bit and learn how them guys are buying equipment now. And, and that's one of the things that I think we've got to learn to get better at. It, it is playing that game, you know, either a parts and service card or whatever to bring the unit back and or you know, like you said, play the negotiations again. Because we've seen some of them, you get what I would call the third tier. It's kind of a cash outright deal. A lot of them guys that are buying it, they don't mind saving the money, doing it themselves. They see that repair cost. Give them the parts that's needed right. to go do it. And, and they'll they'll work on it at their leisure. You know, you got to find ways to bridge that gap and close in deals. And that's... I think that's what we got to learn how to do better. Yep. And that's to that point, when you think about it, I mean, you tell a guy it's 25,000 bucks to work on a combine about 10 or 12,000 of that is the, uh, is the parts. The rest of that's labor. You know what I mean? So, right. Yep. you know, the, the handy savvy, you know, buyer out there that can go fix his own stuff or honestly, you know, I have hired man. That's, that's a pretty technically pretty mechanically inclined fella. He can, pay him half of what it costs to do the shop to change out, you know, sprockets and chains and augers right. and those kind of things, you know, the stuff that doesn't require a lot of diagnostic stuff, you know, and, and hooking computers into it and those kind of things. And those are the kind of stuff that, that really eat up parts and labor, both not nah, just like, I think you got to think it's a good, a good point you brought up there that, you know, we as this kind of equipment space is evolving into how the digital market is is affecting it. Um, sometimes I feel like our industry is, has kind of stayed the same and hoping that everything is going to keep kind of going down the same path and, and kind of watch. They, everyone kind of knows we need to change, but it's hard to get that, that change to happen. You know what I mean? Right. And it's, yeah. a, it's a growth a growth thing that we have to figure out. You know, honestly, you have to figure that out because if you're relying on your, your own area to uh, – digest all your all your trade-ins um, you're probably going to have to really pare back the amount of new stuff you're selling just because uh, yep. you don't you don't have the you don't have the used buyers like you had 10 years ago to, to come and buy exactly. that stuff yep. so when you look at that what we would call a kind of a c level or a d level however far down you want to go on the list as far as your uh, classifications go when you get to that 10-year-old machine, this is kind of my opinion. When I get to that 10-year-old machine, more than likely, that machine's kind of worth what it's worth. When you start looking at like a 2009 or 10 or 11 model machine, um, they usually have a ton of hours on them by now, especially with what's happened over the last five years with, with, the, with the trade cycles not being there like they've been. Some guys picking up more ground and just pushing their machines harder type of stuff, and they've got a few more hours on them than you would anticipate seeing in, in a year-over-year basis. Those machines, to me, are a uh, they're definitely an as-is, where-is approach. Um, yep. You know, get the inspection out, figure out what's wrong with them. Really advertise, uh, this is what it needs to get done. If you want to really make it brand new again, here's how much you can spend. But quite frankly, if you're looking at a, a combine or a chopper or or anything like that, I mean, you can kind of, where do you stop? You know what I mean? It's just a, you, before you quote unquote, make it new again. So right. I guess what's, what's your thought on that and, and what's your, what's been your approach here of 
of late on on those machines. So what you what I see on on those types of equipment from just call it from two thousand mid two thousands to two thousand twelve. You you're exactly right. It it is what it is, and even when you get that one champion traded in that should be worth significantly more. Yeah, there's not as much opportunity there as what, what I think that there should be. I mean, you might get on a hundred thousand dollar tractor. If you've got the best one in the world, you might get another 10,000. Right. Yep. And that, but that's, you know, so we can't really play that game. But Very commoditized at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta, there's not as big a winners in there as what it'd be nice if we could categorize that a little more, but it, that just doesn't appear to me like that works, you know, as well in those categories. You get yeah. four and five years old, you know, I think you've got opportunities to do that, but it's, it's really, you got to be on the mark, you know, that you might get 5,000 more and it'll sell the quickest, but you try to get 20,000 more, you, you know, you may get it at some point, but you're going to have to, to bear the carrying cost. It looks to right. me like so. Yeah, whatever you actually do make in the long run is going to be offset by your interest costs that you have sitting on the lot. Right. You know, right. waiting for that that golden goose to come flying by is is not a good strategy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't tend to work out well in my in my experience. No, it it, it never lands at my place anyway. So it's it's a uh, it's it's a tough one. I mean, you're you're dealing with a customer that thinks his machine is worth. On a, you know, some of these older combines, you start looking at eighty thousand bucks, seventy thousand bucks, ninety thousand bucks, something like that, and you know they they're looking at the price of a new one or a one or two year old one. And they're like, "How's that possible?" And I'm saying, "Well, it's really just supply and demand, that, supply and demand thing right yeah, now." Yeah, just you even know? looking and back at what they paid for that, it's three hundred, six hundred hours and what it's worth today. They're probably in as as big of sticker shock as what these guys that have kept doing it and seeing every single price increase and, uh, you know, the guys trading every one or two years. Yeah. Yeah. That, that used buyer, he's, he's in as much of or more of a sticker shock right now of, of any of them. And that, uh, that's a tough conversation at times, but you know, it, it is what it is. We, we can't continue to overpay for that stuff. The, the market is, yeah the market segments getting smaller and smaller on the number of guys that we've got to sell to. Yeah. The market segments getting smaller and smaller with the number of guys you have to work with, but yet the, uh, the equipment, the amount of used equipment in that segment is growing every day. I mean, there's so yeah. many machines that fall in that 2014 to 2011 timeframe. And yeah. it's just a big, a big slug of equipment. Well, and also was a, those were record years for, equipment to be produced too you know from any manufacturer so there's there's right. just a there's just a ton of equipment out there so well good stuff as usual dirk man we got a i think we solved about every world problem we had right now i think we've got this all figured out after having this conversation so yeah it sounded sounded really easy that last time. didn't it i mean it just it kind of just rolled right out so all we got to do is just go out and make it happen right <laughs> that's right yeah all right, man. If, uh, if folks wanted to find Mitchell Equipment and wanted to reach out to Dirk, how would they do that? Yeah, so uh, website's MitchellEquip.com. Uh, Mitchell Equipment also has Twitter and Facebook. 
and you can call directly into the office at 800-967-2591 and uh, we'll be happy to answer any questions or take care of any needs that anyone has all right on man well dirk i appreciate you being on and and uh yeah, oh, thanks for having me, Casey. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, and we'll uh, hopefully we continue this conversation over beer sometime. Yeah, hopefully we get it figured out and something yeah. starts working. Yeah, you, you and me both. So, <laughs> all right, buddy, take care of yourself. We'll catch you again. Thanks, Casey and Dirk. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash expert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. You can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Dirk, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.